This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Brianna Heaney. Spirited debate echoed through the House of Delegates today. Bills on third reading include a bill on what air monitoring systems can be used in court and a bill toughening laws on copper theft. Randy Yoey has more. A public hearing last week preceded today's vote on House Bill 5018. The title reads, to provide for oversight and authority governing community air monitoring programs. The bill would restrict certain personal or community air pollution monitoring data from being used for regulatory issues or in lawsuits. Debate centered on several things, on only using federally sanctioned verified data, on one-sidedness, and on the fairness of not being able to allow the Department of Environmental Protection to recognize certain pollution measuring data as well as the legislator altering the rules of court evidence. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County and an environmental consultant, says this bill is about people's legal rights and data collected by people in their community and not just from a company smokestack. The problem with the bill is that it forbids the use of community air monitoring data in court. Fundamentally unfair. It means the, the people that emit the air pollution are allowed to introduce their data in court but the people in the community that are impacted are not allowed to produce their data. The bill sponsor, Delegate Bob Fehrenbacher, a Republican from Wood County, says the U.S. EPA only recognizes certain sanctioned air monitors, so regulators and the court should do the same. While the bill does not preclude or prevent the use of community air monitoring, basically it, it, it imposes some guidelines which are very consistent with EPA guidance on the types of sampling and analytical systems that are generally used. And so if the accuracy is not there or the instruments or the sampling systems are not consistent with EPA methods, then they should not be used for regulatory or frankly um, litigation purposes. The pollution monitoring bill passed 76 to 19 and now goes to the Senate. House Bill 5091, the West Virginia Critical Infrastructure Protection Act, toughens penalties and dramatically raises fines for the vandalism of power substations and the like, and the theft of wire, cables, and other materials that can be sold as scrap. The bill's sponsor, Delegate Dana Farrell, a Republican from Kanawha County, says the thieves are not just drunks on a Saturday night, but organized, well-equipped gangs bent on large-scale theft and destruction. Since I've been in office, it's just been rampant and with the uh, tele telecommunications companies, Frontier in particular. But when they're trying to steal the copper, they're actually tearing down fiber and uh, damaging other infrastructure. And we just had an incident in the fall where they took out the 911 system in the northern part of the state. Uh, I know in my district they've taken down the system, knocks out uh, pharmacies. So this puts lives in danger. The Critical Infrastructure Protection Act passed 88-7 to 7 and now goes to the Senate. 
For the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate has been slowly rolling through bills, sending them to the House or to the governor's desk. Today, the Senate passed four bills and sent them to the House for consideration. The Senate honored three first responders who are nominees for the State Medal of Valor. The Medal of Valor is awarded to firefighters, law enforcement officers, and emergency medical services personnel who distinguish themselves by going above and beyond the call of duty to protect human life at the risk of their own lives. Senator Vin Steeds, a Republican from Greenbrier County, introduced them. The nominees are West Virginia State Police Corporal David Fry, Upshur County Department of Homeland Security and County Emergency Manager Deputy Director Derek Long, and Upshur County Sheriff John Kaufman. Each bill passed by the Senate today passed unanimously. One of those bills was Senate Bill 571, which creates an Energy and Economic Corridor Authority for Corridor H. Senator Bill Hamilton, a Republican from Upshur County, says the establishment of the Corridor H Authority will allow counties along the corridor to plan and implement economic development opportunities. He says the new authority will allow for a broad swath of stakeholders to participate in the economic and community growth related to the expansion of the corridor. Not only will the seven counties along the corridor prosper, but also will the entire region. This is why this bill encourages the involvement of the entire region. West Virginia as a whole plans to benefit a great deal from a completed quarter age. We are already seeing the value of ha having the highway nearly 90% complete or under construction. Planning and development is crucial to repeat the full benefits for in this industry sector such as tourism, hardwood manufacturing, agriculture, energy, and many others. Economic development has a great momentum in West Virginia, and this new authority will work to keep that going in this region of our beloved Mountain State. Corridor H runs through Lewis, Upshur, Barber, Randolph, Tucker, Grant, and Hardy counties. Today was Food and Farm Day at the Capitol, and the emphasis was on West Virginia farmers getting the legislative help to better market their produce and products. Randy Yowie has more. Farm and Food Day coincided with the very popular Preston County High Culinary Class's annual Pancake Breakfast, a breakfast for delegates, senators, and anyone else until they run out, which they do quickly. Now, according to the West Virginia Food and Farm Coalition, agriculture is actually growing in the Mountain State. Farmers are encountering more opportunities every day to help them stay in business and help food entrepreneurs reach new markets. Coalition Executive Director Spencer Moss would like to see a legislative line item put into the budget to fund and sustain and help draw down a million dollars of USDA money to support the SNAP Stretch Program. So what we're able to do is double and triple SNAP EBT dollars at farmers markets, mobile markets, CSAs, and local grocery stores. So if you come in with your SNAP EBT card and want to spend $10, you're also going to get 10 SNAP Stretch dollars that can be spent on fruits and vegetables. Um, since the program's inception in 2018, we've put $3 million into the local food economy uh, for an economic impact of uh, just shy of $5 million. Moss says the biggest challenge for West Virginia farmers is battling the geography and the topography of West Virginia to access markets and sell their goods. For the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie.
Student discipline continues to be an issue in West Virginia schools, and lawmakers continue to try to address the issue through legislation. A bill in the Senate is trying to expand on a law that was passed last year. Chris Schultz has more. House Bill 2890 passed the legislature last year and was written to give school teachers and administrators more leeway in school discipline. But the law that allows a teacher to remove a disruptive student to a different environment to protect the integrity of the classroom only applies to grades 6 through 12, and educators say more needs to be done. Tuesday morning, the Senate Education Committee discussed Senate Bill 614, which intends to expand teachers' ability to remove disruptive students to the elementary level from grades kindergarten through six. Committee Chair Senator Amy Grady, a Republican from Mason County, is the bill's lead sponsor. She said discipline is the number one issue teachers bring to her and is driving them to leave the profession. Teachers who have been teaching for 25 plus years have said, I've had enough, I'm done. I feel like my hands are tied. I do not have the backing of my administrators. Some of our principals, a lot of our principals, they're all great, but a lot of the comments have been, my principal feels like we can love these kids so much that it's going to change their behavior. God bless them for that, because that's what we try to do. But in, in reality, we can't. A lot of them, we can't change the behavior just by love. Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, invited Lindsey McIntosh, general counsel for Kanawha County Schools, to speak on the bill. She brought up several concerns, including a lack of funding for behavioral intervention programs required by the bill, as well as no clear definition of the violent, threatening, or intimidating behavior that could have students removed. Because they can't express their emotions correctly, K through six. Um, I've had students that will literally say, um, I'm going to kill you. They don't mean they're going to actually kill you. They just mean that they can't, again, can't express their emotions correctly. And they, they use that term because that's the term that they hear. That could be considered violent or intimidating. McIntosh went on to say that the law's requirement of suspension took administrators out of a serious disciplinary decision and would take students out of the best environment for them. Committee members, including Senator Mike Oliverio, a Republican from Monongalia County, stated their support for the bill and ultimately for teachers. I have confidence in our teachers. Um, you know, many of them are certified, they're trained, they're experienced. And as far as fleshing out the language, when a kindergarten through sixth grade teacher in an elementary school determines that the behavior of a student is violent, threatening, intimidating towards staff or peers or creates an unsafe learning environment or impedes on other students' ability to learn in a safe environment. I think that's pretty clear. Trump moved to lay the bill over to allow more time to work on language. All other senators spoke in favor of the bill and voted down Trump's motion. Grady conceded that the bill was imperfect, but necessary for the sake of teachers. She said educators cannot put the needs of one disruptive student over those of the dozens of other children in the classroom. Is this a perfect bill? Absolutely not. It's introduced today, or, or it's, it's on the committee agenda today because I worked with counsel, God bless him, um, to try to get it perfect. And I realized we can't get it perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But does it solve the problem of what teachers are bringing to me? Yes, they feel like it does. The bill was recommended to the full Senate with the recommendation it pass. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. About 20,000 West Virginian children are homeschooled, with the number growing every day. Some in state education 
and in the legislature help champion school choice. Others worry about the quality of education and safety of homeschooled children. Randy Yowie sat down with Delegate Jeff Stevens, a Republican from Marshall County and a public school teacher, along with Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County and chair of the Senate School Choice Committee on all things homeschooling. All things homeschooling, yes. West Virginia law allows parents to homeschool their children in lieu of a public education. And a person that knows quite a bit about that is with me, Senator Patricia Rucker, who is uh, the head of the School Choice Committee on the Senate side. Thanks for being here today. Absolutely, thank you for inviting me. So let's talk, let's, in a general terms, uh, how is school, homeschooling working? Uh, what are the positives there? Uh, what kind of uh, graduation rates do we know about? How does it compare to public schooling? Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> so in terms of how does it work, um, so just like schools follow a curriculum, have books for the different subjects, homeschooling is exactly the same. So a parent chooses the curriculum they want their child to have for the different subjects. Oh good, he's coming. And, um, and they follow that book um, at their own pace. One of the advantages of homeschooling is that it can be very privatized and individualized to the actual student. So if a student goes faster, that's okay. If they go slower, that's okay too. Um, you set your own schedule and you follow your, you know, what the needs of your child is. And in terms of comparison to public schools, so in West Virginia, we have about 9% of the student population choosing homeschooling um, versus public school, private schools, and other options. And I can tell you that um, there is a very good graduation rate, but I don't think anyone really collects the exact information. In West Virginia, we entitle homeschool parents to go to college, go take advantage of all the programming that's allowed to public schools so they can participate in West Virginia Invest um, and go in a two-year institution, four-year institution, um, military. I can tell you I had one child who was interested in the military and I just had to submit the homeschool transcript to the military and that was accepted and of course um, you know they're very open to that flexibility thank goodness so uh, homeschoolers really it's 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 just another option. Mm -hmm. uh, joining us as well is Delegate Jeff Stevens, who's an eighth grade teacher as yes. well. Thanks for being here. We just started out by talking with uh, Senator Rucker as well about the positives of homeschooling. And, and it is a good option. It is an option that's available, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely an option. And I know uh, Senator Rucker homeschools herself. And we've got to know each other a little bit. We've got to meet and talk. And uh, we get along really well. And it is, it is an option for our students in West Virginia. And I think it's a good option for, for, for some students uh, that we have. Let's break down, though, a little bit of the challenges that we hear some people mentioning. For example, uh, homeschoolers, homeschool parents only need a high school education to teach, and there's really no set curriculum for them to learn. There's no training. Uh, I, I know sometimes, uh, Delegate, you have a, con a concern about that. Yeah, I did, um, just because, you know, our teachers go through, you know, a four-year education process, and then we have continuing education every year in our schools um, for different aspects. It could be for mental health, or it could be for, for another topic. Uh, and then that college education um, comes back in your specific field. Uh, so those are some concerns that I would have uh, versus homeschooling uh, at, at any level, because uh, I think it's all a specialty, uh, whether it's elementary, whether 
whether it's West Virginia studies that I teach or like a high school physics class. Um, I think specific trainings needed for you to be able to pass that information on to, to a student. Do you get concerned, Senator Rucker, about the quality of education without those variables? So um, I can tell you, even though the requirement is a minimum of a high school diploma, obviously homeschool parents have all sorts of higher education. We have parents that have PhDs and masters and uh, college uh, graduation. But in terms of the quality education, I think the quality comes a lot from the attention that you give that student. So yes, obviously there's a lot of benefit you get from a um, an educator who's been professionally trained, just like I did. I went to college to become a teacher, took those courses. But what is, I think, more crucial in the learning process is that the child is supported in their learning and given the opportunity to um, explore at their level. And that's the kind of individualized learning that occurs in a homeschool setting that is almost impossible to duplicate in a classroom. More holistic. More holistic, more individualized, more personalized. So what you're lacking maybe in the degree and preparation of the educator, you kind of make up for the amount of time that you can give that child in that particular subject at the level that they're at. So I do think that obviously there can be homeschool parents who might not be able to um, teach every single subject to the expertise that an, you know, uh, a professionally trained teacher might. But thank goodness, there are so many options now. You can go online for re resources. You can enroll in dual enrollment in your two-year or four-year institution nearby. And you can take classes at the public school. So homeschoolers, if I don't want to teach chemistry, I can enroll my child in chemistry at the local high school. Let's talk about assessment then and evaluation. What I understand, a homeschooler only needs to be assessed once a year and that they basically the parents turn in a portfolio of what they've done and, 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 any, and some kind of a, a certified teacher looks it over. I mean, I've even talked to some homeschool parents that say that's not enough. Perhaps it should be quarterly. Perhaps that, you know, maybe the, the, the state should be checking a little bit more. Uh, Delegate Stevens, how do you feel on that? Yeah, I, you know, as we go through and we do the standardized testing, we have benchmarks that we do. And the benchmarks are used for students to see their progress and to see maybe places where students are deficient or whether they have enough education and maybe you don't need to hit on that topic as much. Um, and I think that would be beneficial to, you know, not just homeschool students or students in a public school or private school, but I think that would help out, you know, on both sides. Um, if they would do maybe a quarterly or when we do our benchmarks, just by a certain date, do this benchmark. And then they can see the data too and just see where they can help their students, you know, at, at home. Uh, you know, if you're homeschooling a student, that you can see too is, oh, they're really proficient in this area. So maybe we don't need to hit that as much. And then maybe they're deficient in this area and maybe we need to, to do a little more there. Would, well, would it help to do a little bit more academic oversight? Well, remember that just because it's required once a year to do the assessment doesn't mean that a homeschool parent cannot choose to do additional assessments right. as many as they want. It's the same with public schools. We require and do you see that? Do you see more testing? parents doing more? It depends on the parent. So there are parents who really do want to get that feedback. Am I doing it right? Is my child you know, progressing. There are some that really, really like to have that information, but there are some that don't. There are some that they don't really want to teach to the test. They just want to focus on providing the educational opportunity for their child. So in our law, we require once a year minimum. 
And for public schools, I don't know if you know this, we don't require the benchmark testing. We only yeah. require testing, standardized testing, four times in the 12 years. And again, they can do more, right? Mm -hmm. Teachers can choose to do more. This county, the district, the principal, it's the exact same with homeschooling. And I will tell you, I hear complaints from a lot of public school teachers <laughs> saying, we do too much testing. Let us teach and not have to spend so much time on preparing for tests. And I'm totally supportive. Again, I believe the teacher knows best what is best for their students. I, I've heard and both, that's what, I've oh, heard both so sides. Funny. I've heard some teachers complain about testing, some teachers, Amy Grady loves the testing, you know? So you're gonna hear uh, multiple opinions because we're all human beings, right? Yeah, and as, as Senator Rucker said, uh, you know, not a fan of standardized testing and the st testing they do, you know, a one-hour test to determine how well a student is doing exactly. in a subject area. Um, so I don't want to, you know, think like we're arguing. I think we, we, we agree <laughs> yes, on, we agree. on that fact in, in the standardized testing and at least an overhaul of, of that system uh, and things that we do, uh, you know, but if, if the question was if you're going to have to have standardized testing, I guess, uh, to, to have something a little more universal. But yeah, I agree that sometimes the standardized testing that the parents don't want to, I know you'd have a lot of teachers on board that said, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Uh, you never know, a kid might not eat breakfast one day or something or you know have a bad day and you know they get a, a test score that goes with them let's talk about a couple of challenges truancy we hear about this bailout I hear this from educators that a student that has a, a, a truancy a continuing truancy problem the parents could this okay well I'm homeschooling them and just to get out of any kind of truancy penalty and, and, and I'm sure both of you have heard this as well uh, should there be some constraints regarding homeschooling when it comes to this truancy, a little more oversight there. Well, I could tell you the problem with doing constraints when it comes to that issue is, again, one size doesn't fit all. And you don't know what the reasons for that truancy is. So if the truancy is because the child is, has a medical issue and a lot of illness, um, us stopping the parent from choosing to homeschool like, how is that benefiting that child who is clearly struggling with a medical need? If the truancy is based on the fact that the child is being bullied, us denying that parent the ability to maybe pull their child away from a situation where the child does not feel safe, it's not gonna help that child. So that's the reason for what, what we have now currently, which is that we require the schools to try to find out what is causing the truancy. Why are you having these absences? So we require right now in state code that after three absences, they contact the parent, have a discussion. After five absences, you might want to have the parent come into the school and let's have a, a see what supports they may need, what is causing the problem. But to make just a law saying, well, if you have this many absences, you're not allowed to homeschool. It's trying a one-size-fits-all that doesn't really work for every single family. And some of those reasons for why it's not working at the public school, homeschooling might work out a lot better. So you just don't know. And the school would know. The students and the school and the parents would know more than we. But if the, the if the student is a chronic truant, and then the parent says, I'm going to homeschool my child. And all they have to do is sign a form. They don't have to do much anything else besides sign one piece of paper, if I'm not mistaken. That's, that's actually wrong. Yes, you have to sign a paper to turn in a notice of intent to let the county know you're going to homeschool. But the law says you have to teach the five major subjects and annual assessment to prove that the child is progressing. And that is the law. So it's not like we're going to 
no, put in okay, a notice right. of intent and stay home and watch TV. It's not going to work. There's caveats. All of right. course. Uh, delegate? Yeah, and I think to, to piggyback off what Senator Rocker said, if, if your student is in, in, in a public school and they're being pulled out to homeschool, I, I'm not sure what the legality is, but we would definitely have questions for that student uh, as they weren't coming to school. And I know we investigate, uh, you know, is it a bullying issue? Is it a health issue? Um, because I think when it comes down to it, we're looking out for, for the, the betterment of the child uh, to make sure that, that they're getting not only the education, because uh, I think that's what, you know, public education or even about. homeschooling it, it's not all about just getting them to learn you know math and reading skills and math skills it's about the health of the child you, you know a, as a whole person yeah, I, want, I want to talk about Rayleigh's law for the last three years this has been proposed this is a proposal right now to prevent people who have an open CPS case from homeschooling and also prevent people who have a criminal record of violence or domestic violence from homeschooling this comes after the student that went from uh, Nicholas County to Fayette County and then was was tortured and killed, I'm sorry to say. Uh, why hasn't this passed in the last three years? It seems like a no-brainer. Well, I can tell you, it's never made it out of the House, so you should probably ask the House yeah. of Delegates better than me. But right, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. What are your thoughts on this? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry. No worries. So I could tell you that, again, in that particular horrific situation, it wasn't the fact that they were homeschooling. It was actually a failure of CPS who had gotten reports of problems and had not followed up and didn't share the information with the county next county over when the family moved. But in terms of the actual um, issue of if you have an open CPS case or, or there's a history of violence, I do want to point out currently already in a law, we have, um, if you are accused of a crime or an issue against a child, you can lose your child. It's up to the CPS division of DHHR to be pursuing that. The fact that they've had struggles with keeping up with their caseload is a known fact that everyone in the entire state knows, and it has nothing to do with the homeschooling law. And I will tell you, um, you can have an open CPS case uh, that never gets found to have any actual evidence that you did any abuse. And remember, and we, we don't want to change this, but in the state of West Virginia, anyone can anonymous, anonymously call CPS and claim there's an issue. About 60% of those really are not any issue that needs to be pursued. I see we're out of time yeah. right now. I just oh, like to sorry. thank, well, no, 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 that's all right. We can, we'll extend this later. Yeah. But uh, Delegate Stevens and Senator Rucker, thanks for being here to talk, well, about, home, to talk about homeschooling. I'm Brianna Heaney. From everyone here at WVPB, thank you for joining us and have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.